Hello, welcome back to another episode of Creative Chit Chat. Uh, this week, it's number 64. I am joined by Sue Shaw, who is a musician, and she has put out work under the name Panda Sue um, for a few years, and has now moved on to releasing under She. And we talk about the reason for that transition, we talk about where the panda and Panda Sue came from, um, and how uh, Sue has sort of built a career to the point where she's now a full-time musician and what that actually means for her um, and a little bit about what that means going forward which I think was a, a sort of particularly difficult question for, for her to answer um, but really interesting to hear her thoughts on that because I think, I mean, the music industry has changed I mean, massively in the last 10, 20 years and it's become more and more difficult to sustain and make make it viable to be paid to be a, an artist unless you go for that sort of fame and fortune approach which very few people get and even then it's very fickle and you can be dumped in an instant. Um, but Sue has sort of found her own path around that um, and it's fascinating to hear that journey and how it's sort of developed and how her work has developed over time. Um, and I suppose the other thing to say is that she's not done a lot of interviews um, and sort of, I don't know if we go into it in the podcast, but we definitely mentioned it um, in and around it that she sort of shied away from that in the past. Um, so I, I suppose it makes it uh, even more interesting to, to hear that when it's, it's something that she has decided not to do in the past and is now sort of more open to embracing that and talking about her work and her approach. So yeah, um, there are a couple of things that I want to flag up just now. So firstly is something that Sue asked me to shout out and that's the Dundee Musicians Award. Um, it's something that made her video from uh, For Eyes Shut possible, um, the one that she created in Westward Works. Um, so she was supported by that fund and it's now open again to support uh, musicians based in Dundee. Um, it's not the easiest of links to read out, so uh, the link is in the show notes for that. And something else um, that's going on at the moment, a project called Waste of Space. Um, it was a project that was voted on as part of Dundee Decides um, for the sort of West End region. And it was improvements in the Perth Road shopping district. And as part of that um, this project, so it's called Waste of Space, and it's about transforming the Euro bins that are on street um, from sort of Tartan Cafe right up to the Cinderin's Junction. And the project uh, is looking for designers and artists. So there's an open call out at the moment, and that's wasteofspace.org. Um, again, the link will be in the show notes. Um, you can get all the information on there about the project. Artists or designers will be paid £300 per bin, um, and you can apply um, and s- submit up to three concepts for the different bin categories. Um, and hopefully we'll see a whole load of great street art coming to the it's coming to Perth Road onto the bins in an area that I mean, at the moment they just sit there doing nothing, um, pretty uninspired, just functional pieces of street furniture. Um, and hopefully this project can actually bring it to life. And I mean, there's great potential for it spreading across the city um, if it goes well. So yeah, it's wasteofspace.org if you want to get involved and submit. Um, the submission deadline is a, in a week's time, so it's the 4th of July at midnight. You just have to submit a concept, um, you don't have to do any sort of sketches or work or anything, it's just really showing, it's sort of writing down an idea and showing some of your previous work uh, and then you might well get commissioned to paint um, a bin or a multiple. So yeah, definitely go and check that out. Um, but yeah, let's get into the episode. So this is number 64 with Sue Shaw. My journey started in Wick. That's where I was born. And then I moved to Fife when I was three years old and I went to Madras College. I suppose that's where I started getting involved in music. And St Andrews isn't a particularly musical town by any stretch of the imagination. So... Yeah, I found that I got I got a little bit bored, maybe, and I went in search of bands that I could join. At the time, there weren't too many at Madras. And 
So I came over to Dundee. There was a shop at the time, which is now Kenny's. It was sound control before. And on the way up the stairs, they used to have a wall of adverts. And I saw one which was looking for a female vocalist. It was a metal band called Stitch Boy. And I didn't know anyone in Dundee at the time, but I thought, actually, this sounds pretty fun. So I'm going to go for it. So I went for an audition and I got the gig. And I started, started playing some proper shows with this band. They were all based from Harris Academy. And we used to play some, yeah, a, a good number of shows at the Westport. I remember the old doghouse as well, uh, Juthi Niebuhr's, um, which is now the Mayfly. And I think that's really the time that I got this real taste for performing music live, where I realized that, yeah, I definitely want to be doing this or spending as much of my time as possible getting involved in this. And performing at that point, um, what were you, were you playing? Were you singing? So at school, my instrument was percussion. So I played the drums for six years. I didn't play guitar or pick or pick up a guitar until I was 16 years old. But with this band, it was just singing. And it was just singing covers as well. And a lot of those covers were Pearl Jam or Metallica or some other metal bands. So yeah, it was the first time where I guess I was just focusing on really remembering lyrics and not playing any other instruments live on stage at that point. So where so where did you go from there then, from your, your, the high school band to... So at Madras, I think I picked up really early on that I probably wasn't going to go to music college or music school. I found the theory side of music really difficult. And actually, out of all the subjects I took, I probably struggled most with music. Um, and I think it's because I was more interested in the performance aspect. I couldn't even really read musical notation at the time. I remember for one of my exams, I think it was my higher music exam, my music teacher actually wrote to SQA to ask if my exam could be done using tab rather than musical notation. And uh, yeah, so I knew at that point it was just going to be performing for me. And when I left school, I just had this desire to go out there and to get better at performing. I knew that that just took practice and playing as many shows and gigs as I could. So I made that decision to, to focus my time on that. And I remember at the time at school when all of my friends were filling out their personal statement and applying to university. And I think I was maybe one of very few people at Madras at that time that had decided to not go into further education. And I think my teachers were a little bit concerned. In fact, they even invited my parents in to say, we're just wondering if, if everything's okay because Suzanne's decided that she'd like to go down a slightly different route. And I think back then, those routes weren't always encouraged. I think if you weren't planning on going to university or college, sometimes that raised an alarm bell. Whereas these days, I mean, I think alternative routes are, are much better supported and even encouraged if following a certain path isn't, isn't the one for you. But yeah, but back then I think, I think it did initially cause some concern. Um, but I left school and then I, all my friends went off to university and I picked up a job and I just started saving money and I planned to go over to the States to do some touring. And, and that's what I did. I, I headed over for about two and a half months I played as many shows as I could, and at this point, I had started writing my own music, uh, which was to become Panda Sue. But performing my own lyrics live on stage, I was incredibly shy to begin, to begin with, and I think that's where this whole Panda Sue moniker really came from. Um, I mean, for the first sort of four years of Panda Sue, I would paint my face before every single show to almost detract uh, from the music a little bit, just to get around that to build up my confidence. Yeah, and, that, and that's how, that's how Pendency was born. So how did you, actually I'm going to rephrase that. So the, the painting of the face and the creation of, of Panda Sue, um, was that a, a persona that you then performed under? Yes. So it wasn't, it wasn't you that was on stage, it was Panda Sue. Uh, yeah, I definitely tried to separate me, real life, and Pandasu music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was kind of working under a persona. And I thought that was a way to be able to express myself musically without almost people asking too many questions. I know that sounds a bit strange, but even this idea of writing a song and then having people ask, oh, what's your song about? 
those questions really frightened me because I think I used music at that time and actually I still use music for the same reason now that you write a song uh, almost to communicate thoughts or feelings that you're maybe otherwise unable to talk about in, in real life. And so you use music as that, yeah, that way of putting those thoughts out in the world. And the, the, the panda element itself, I mean, what's the origin of that? Where did that come from? Uh, so I remember it came from, I grew up in a very small village just across the other side of the Tay. And I think there was a village fair. There was a face painting stall. And I got a panda painted on my face. It was the first time that I've ever performed with face paint. Initially, for me, it was a little bit of a joke, but actually, when I was performing live, I could see that people thought, oh, wait, this is a bit strange or this is a bit weird, and I enjoyed how it detracted from my actual music. <laughs> so, yeah, so I stuck with it, and I then invested lots of money on, on face paint, and I painted my face before every show for, yeah, three or four years. And I remember it got to the point where it almost became a little bit of a gimmick. I would turn up to certain venues... And the promoter would say, ah, so we've told everyone that you paint your face and we think that's great. And I'd say, actually, I was going to take a night off tonight because my skin, you know, just needs a rest. And they were like, wait, but you have to do that. I mean, it's really, it's, it's why people are coming, almost as if that was the reason that people were coming to see me. And I thought, oh, wait, okay, this is interesting. So it's kind of less about the music and it's more about how I looked. And at that point, I decided, okay, I think I'm going to have to move away from this now and also I just can't keep afford like I can't afford all this face paint it's quite expensive <laughs> <laughs> um it's like four pounds a tub or something uh so yeah that's when I made the decision that okay I'm gonna keep up the music but I'm gonna gonna slowly move away from uh this, this face painting method before every every show and so um like as Panda Sue I mean you've performed on stage but with a whole load of, of different people as well yes yeah, so writing music, I think for me, has always been a solo affair. And the way that I would write music, I would, as part of the recording process, play a lot of those instruments myself. And so, of course, that presents a little bit of an issue when you want to be able to play that music on stage and yeah, you only have, you only have two hands. So I would invite people to come and perform with me and do some shows and do some tours. Uh, and there were times where I'd have a drummer or a bassist or I'd have someone doing backing vocals. But I think at the end of the day, I think that I realized that I really enjoyed the flexibility that performing on your own brings. I never really enjoyed the whole rehearsal or practice element. Uh, I always got a little bit bored. It was like you were just memorizing a song to then play it perfectly on stage. And that wasn't as exciting to me. Whereas these days, now when I perform on stage and I am performing alone, I can definitely change things up a little bit on stage if, if I feel the need to, which I really enjoy. So yeah, I can make a song shorter or longer, or I can change the lyrics and none of those things really matter because um, it's just me playing up there. So yeah, I definitely enjoy that more, I think, right now. And as Panda Sue, how, I mean, how many tracks and albums did you release? How big was that sort of body of, of work? The first EP I released... I uh, worked on with Steve Mason from Beta Band. In fact, I was really, really lucky to meet him. At the time, I started to go to this music festival in in the East Newt called Home Game, and it was organized by Fence Collective, this brilliant record label. And uh, I met Steve through a mutual friend. He'd just done some work on their EP, and I thought, oh, this sounds, this sounds amazing. I'd definitely like to get him involved. Uh, and at that time, I wasn't completely aware I mean, I'd heard the Beta Band, but I didn't know too much about Steve other than that band that he'd been in. And of course, he'd worked on lots of other projects since then. So I recorded four tracks with him. I think I put that out in, in 2009. And then I released another EP, I think three or four years later. And, and then my last single under Panda Sue was, was released in 2013. And that was a song called Maps. And at the time, that was to be the first the first official song from from a Panda Sue album, but actually the album never really came. And I was writing a lot, but I felt like I was pushing it a little bit too much. I wasn't really happy with anything that I was coming up with. And it's at that point that I decided I should just step away from music for a little bit and uh, yeah, and then come back to it at, 
at another time. So sort of before before we go on to talk about that that transition, that, that change, um, so how have you been running that your music as a career, if you like, or a, I mean, how had that been working as as part of your life up to the that point? I'd always, always been working either full-time or part-time jobs and always squeezing in the creative or the writing or recording and performing as Pandacy on the side. I think it's because since I was quite young, I knew, I mean, you'd always hear everyone say, you're not going to make money from music, you're not going to make money from music, it won't be a full-time income. And I always had a plan B, just in case, something to fall back on. And I did want to do music full-time, but at that, at that point I didn't really know how to navigate that. So I always worked full-time jobs, and none of those were linked to anything creative or musical. And they were jobs that I enjoyed, um, but they always... I never really had much time at the end of the day to focus on music, and I think it became a bit of an issue. Uh, I mean, one job, I was organising events for, for a charity, and it meant literally spending lots of time in other countries organizing treks and marathons and taking part in, in those myself. And I loved that job, but I knew that deep down that wasn't really the life that I was supposed to be leading. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later that I kind of realized, okay, wait, you've always wanted to do music full time, but you seem to be focusing on other jobs or promotions in other jobs or, you know, kind of getting caught up a little bit in that machine that of course you need money to survive and if you're going to give everything up and focus on music how are you going to be able to make that happen so yeah so I always had a plan b and then it wasn't until fairly recently that I decided to just get rid of all of those all of those uh those things that I could fall back on and to to give it a good go so we sort of hinted at this this sort of pivotal point in your career where you've been working under the name Panda Sue but you'd there was a lot of things that came alongside that, not least the the sort of the the face paint and the the persona and the expectation that had come alongside that, um, and you decided that it was time to take a step away from that and create something new. And so, I mean, why did that? Why did the decision come to change? Um, and why did it all come to a head at the sort of that point? So I suppose, yeah, just following that release in 2013, which was still under Panasu at that point, and I think there was quite a lot of expectation, and I really started to feel that, and I think I started to put a little bit of pressure on myself as well. And of course, you get to a point where you're, I mean, I had relative success. I was playing good tours and good shows, and at that point, actually one of my songs from the I Begin EP had been picked up for a film over in the States. And kind of something very strange happened. So it was used in a film starring starring Jennifer Lawrence. And it came out just after Hunger Games. And of course, Hunger Games was incredibly popular, which therefore meant that anything that Jennifer Lawrence did afterwards was also incredibly popular. So it went to number one in the box office over in the States. And yeah, that brought an awful lot of pressure, I think, of, okay, what, what am I going to do next? And there was a video up on YouTube and it had 100,000 views. And at that point, I was still working full time and I was a little bit, I didn't really know what my next move should be. I knew that I should probably be releasing an album. And I was working with uh, a management team at the time and I kind of introduced other musicians into Panda Sue and I'd done tours, but nothing was really feeling right to me. And so I just stopped and I took some years out and I got heavily involved in other jobs and kind of focused on those. And then over time, I mean, I, I missed it. I missed writing and performing. And in that time, I also decided, hey, I want to learn a little bit more about production. I've always wanted to really understand that, that side of the process. So I, uh, at that point, I moved to Dundee picked up a job at the DCA where I met some incredibly talented artists and musicians and I borrowed some equipment from, from one of my good friends there and I started recording and producing myself. And also my own interest in styles of music had changed. 
think Panda Sue was kind of alternative, but also a little bit folky. Whereas with the newer music that I was making, it was definitely more towards electronic or ambient. And yeah, the music could change and I felt that I had to. And fundamentally, I just knew that it was time for a change. And that's, uh, that's why I decided to, to start a new project under, under She. So what is She? And how does it differ? What what's the departure, and what have you left behind from Panda Sue that you that you're then taking forward in a different way into she? I think my whole approach to music has changed. It's the first time that I've focused on music full time, and I also think it's the first time that I've been confident enough to be able to do that as well. She is, I guess, in a writing or performing sense, it's just me. So I haven't played with anyone else on stage. That doesn't mean I won't, but right now I'm, I'm quite happy just doing that myself. But it is actually really represents, I mean, it's a vehicle for collaboration across a number of art forms. I think with Panasu, I'd never really properly collaborated, other than with on tours when I was performing with other musicians on stage and I was sometimes also getting involved in their own musical projects. I'd never really collaborated properly and I think that's because I was always a little bit frightened to. And going back to that idea of why you make music or why you write music, I was always terrified that if I was going to collaborate with someone, of course they're going to have some questions and I'm going to have to answer them about, hey, what's this song about? Or yeah, give us give us a little bit more about what you're thinking when you when you wrote this, or what does this mean? And and I shied away from it for that for that reason. And with she, I think I really wanted to explore collaboration, but in a completely different way. So musically, I'm not collaborating, but I recently made a video, and I did that with a with a really great filmmaker called Harry Clark, that's also a, a dancer with Scottish Dance Theatre. Collaborated with a printmaker and visual artist, Kitty Ravenscraig, on the Eyes Shut release that I put out uh, back in February. And I've also been involved in a few other collaborative projects as well since then. And really, for me, almost challenging myself with those collaborations. So very recently, I worked on a project with a French uh, dancer and choreographer we're exploring cartography of the human body. And I never really worked with a dancer in that way. In fact, dance was almost a completely new art form to me. For, for some reason, for years, I almost kind of wrote it off that I didn't understand dance or I wouldn't get it or, so I didn't really explore it. And then that was one of the main things when I, when I first moved to Dundee that I discovered and I fell in love with instantly. And I went to see Scottish Dance Theatre at the Rep and I mean, I, I knew that they'd been there, but I didn't really know the kind of work that they were doing. And then I remember my first, my first show of theirs and thinking, wow, this is incredible and so emotional. And I definitely want to get involved in, in some way, whether that's through collaboration, working together on a project that I was working on or that they were working on. I just knew that, yeah, I wanted to find a way to, to explore that a little bit more. So yeah, so the recent project with with the dancing choreographer at Hidden Door in Edinburgh. And she came over to Dundee. She, she lives in Athens and we only had two weeks to develop a, a whole piece that we were going to perform. And I think, I mean, maybe I made the mistake of at the beginning of the rehearsals, I said, oh, hey, I've just treat me like a dancer. Let's just go through the whole rehearsal uh, and warm up process together because I think that would help me. And then, I mean, she did that and she took me through it, and I've never felt so uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's important. I wanted to not be in my comfort zone. I think that's probably the main difference with G this time. I don't worry so much about not knowing. I just want to explore things that I'm not familiar with. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying doing that right now. And is that, so you talk about that, that sort of being comfortable, is that in a, a live sense as well as in the sort of the other areas that you're looking into when you're creating the music? Yeah, I think it's in all senses. Um, live, 
yeah, definitely. I think in the past, I ran the risk of wanting to add in more musicians or more instruments to make it sound like it was enough. Whereas I think very recently I realized that actually it can be enough if it's just vocals or if it's just guitar or if it's just synth. And don't shy away from that. Because you kind of run the risk of occasionally wanting to hide behind other musicians on stage. You know, so if you make a mistake or it doesn't sound great or whatever, it's, it's, a, it's a group thing. It's not all eyes on you. Uh, because, yeah, of course, occasionally there are times where you're playing a show and all eyes are on you and you're trying to remember your lyrics and your parts and you're aware that the focus is, is just on you. And that's, yeah, I think that really intimidated me in the past. Whereas these days I'm kind of learning to enjoy that. Because I think there's, having spoken to a lot of people now, that there's this point in their career where they gain that that level of confidence so that no matter what happens, they feel like they have the confidence to overcome anything and to have that ability to, to play and explore and fail and move on. Yeah, I think that's something that I've had to work really hard on ever since I was very young. I've just been a massive perfectionist. Uh, and I thought that that was a good trait to have. Like, why would you not want everything to be perfect? Um, and now these days, yeah, I think it's exactly that. I mean, if you're off on stage and it's you do make a mistake or it doesn't go quite as planned, that's okay. I mean, it is completely okay. And it's all right to also feel vulnerable in that situation. I didn't like feeling those things before. And I didn't like talking about feeling those things, especially with Pandasu, which is why I didn't really do many interviews or I didn't answer any of those questions about what's this about or, you know, the kind of answers that people want to hear. I mean, the thoughts behind the music, I kind of always shied away from. Uh, and I'm a lot more a lot more open with that these days. So let's move on to talk about your, your process. Um, so from, I mean, I, I want to know how you get from maybe a spark or an idea or something, some part, some inspiration, um, whatever that may be, through to actually recording, producing, releasing. How how does that process work for you? My process is, I don't know, I was going to say it's a little bit different to maybe a lot of other processes. I'm not, I'm not sure it is. I think I can't really plan. So what I don't do, I don't plan in creative time um, in the sense that I won't dedicate Monday from two to four to write two songs. Um, of course, I'm aware that yeah, I need to be writing regularly and there's always certain projects that I'm working on, sometimes simultaneously. So I dedicate time to those, but I also have to... It's important to realize when you're in the mood to do something when you're not, and I never want to push the creative, the creative side of things. I think that's another reason why I was always a little bit worried about doing music full-time. Because when you're burying yourself into other work elsewhere, there's not so much pressure on it to be successful. So my process these days is to really accept flexibility and actually just being okay with how things are a little bit unpredictable at times. For actually writing music, it's always been the same for me. I've never really sat down and gone, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a song about this today and here are some lyrics I've been working on. I always start with the music first. That's either on guitar or synth and then the lyrics just kind of appear and that sounds like a bit of a magical trick, um, but it is as natural as that. And sometimes they appear all at once and sometimes they appear over weeks or months. And there are songs that I've been working on that I still haven't completed. And again, I just don't like pushing things. And I suppose that's why I've always been keen to release my music under my own label. So I don't have that pressure on myself. Like, hey, you've got a month to write and complete an entire album, which we're then going to release in three months' time. So um, how do you know when something is finished? Uh, that's definitely something I'm trying to answer right now as I've been getting more involved in production and recording. Uh, and it definitely also feeds into this idea of, yeah, can you make this better? Can I do better on this? I think I have to just... You know what? You could work on something for months and months and months and still find things that you are not happy with. 
And for me, it's always coming back to this idea of, you know what, what is what is perfect? Does that even sound like something? What are you looking for? Um, and I don't spend as much time chasing after that these days. I just am completely aware, especially because I'm full-time, I don't have lots and lots of time to really focus on things over months and months and months. So I'll work on something and normally what I do is I'll record it and then I won't make an instant decision about whether it's good enough or not. I used to do that. I used to write something, uh, record it, listen back to it 10 minutes later and go, that's terrible, I'm deleting that. Why did I even bother writing that? What a waste of a day. <laughs> uh, these days I don't do that. I record everything and then I listen back to it uh, maybe a few days later or even a week later. And then more often than not, I find something that I really like about that. And the aspects that I don't, I work on those. But yeah, I try not and write anything off too quickly. Do you ever use other people as like a sounding board or for feedback in that process? Yeah, in the past I did that a lot more, but I found that sometimes that was not always useful to me because I was very, very influenced by someone's opinion. And opinions are helpful in the same way that so is constructive criticism, but what if you just can't please all people? And there's got to be a time that you realise, okay, maybe you're making this for you and you're not making it for other people. And as long as you're happy with it, then you should go with it. And I was in a very similar position with Eyes Shut, which was my first release under She. So it was the first song that I've ever produced and recorded completely by myself. And I was really pleased and happy uh, with how it sounded and I sent it to, to a couple of people beforehand to say, hey, I'm going to put this out. I thought maybe you'd like to listen to it before beforehand. And they came back and they said, oh, it's great, but you know, if you change this chorus or you put in this lyric or you take this one out or why don't you add in an instrument here, then maybe, you know, maybe it sounded a lot better. And I went, oh, okay, in the past, I think these comments would definitely have affected me. Whereas these days, I mean, I replied and I said, oh, that's great, thanks for your feedback you know what, I'm going to put it out exactly as it is because I want to be completely honest and respectful of the way that this song was written and I'm proud of that and even if I release it and maybe it could have got a little bit more commercial success had I put in an extra chorus or taken out that middle eight but I think I'm just going to put it out the way that, that I wrote initially because, yeah, I think I'm less worried about that commercial success or you know, writing a song. My music's never going to be the kind of music that's going to go to number one in the charts. I mean, do the charts even really exist these days? <laughs> and when I was younger, those were the things that, you know, were on my list of things to achieve in life. Like, yeah, have a number one album in the charts. These days, I mean, yeah, I'm okay with not having a number one album in the charts. So what do you want your music to be? I, I just want it to be honest. I think. Um, and I want to feel like I'm being a little bit braver than I have been in the past with music. I think that's ultimately, as long as I'm being true to those things, then I'm happy. So you said that you, you released your music on your own label. Um, so I, mean, I don't really understand what, like, what, what a label actually is and how you go about creating and releasing on that and what, why you made the decision to do that. So in a traditional sense, a label is how you're able to afford putting out a record. You pay for your recording costs, the production, uh, the distribution, and they take a percentage for all of that work that they're doing on your behalf. But with signing to a label, there's also a huge amount of pressure that, of course, all of that money that, you're, that they're spending on you initially, you need to make back for them. I think that's where there's been a little bit of a misunderstanding um, that, wow, you're signed to a major label, that's incredible, you're set up for life. But actually, yeah, sure, if that label can invest £100,000 into you, that is great. But you really need to make sure that you're making that back for them. Because if you're not, then chances are they're probably going to drop you. And sure, that, make, that makes sense on that, on that level. They're a business and they need to make things work for them too. But I knew that I never wanted that pressure. I never really wanted to be working with anyone that said, you need to write music in a certain way 
or you need to look a certain way or sound a certain way. And so that's why I decided that I would just release music myself. And that means that things take a lot longer. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, I, I might not be able to get my music out to as many places or people as a major label might be able to, to get my music out to, but I'm okay with that. I think just as long as I'm not that idea of writing music for for other people or to make it an instant commercial success. As long as I'm not doing that, then, yeah. So what is the label to you then? Is it just a vehicle for getting your, your work out there? Yeah, it's exactly that. And so it really just is an outlet to get my own music out. Um, maybe in a few years, it would be nice to explore the idea of putting out some other musicians. But right now... Yeah, it's literally just that vehicle to, to release my own music. And in its simplest sense, it's, it's just a, a company? Yes, with a name. And, yeah. and sort of as part of the, the release process um, and putting work out there, how important to you are the, the other things that come along with the release? So the, the video the the artwork um, and anything else that sort of surrounds the release these days those things are a lot more important to me than they used to be maybe they're a lot more important to everyone than they used to be uh, with Panda Sue I think I made one video um, and then I didn't really think about any of the other things I just focused on the music with She that's definitely something that I have been exploring and I'm enjoying exploring, even with a live show. So it's not just the stage and the music that you're hearing. It's the visuals, it's the lights, it's kind of everything. And I don't think I really thought about that before. And I can't remember your question. What was it? Did that answer it? <laughs> it was just sort of how, how important is ah, that? The, the very important. Stuff <laughs> I think I said that already. Uh, yeah, it's really important to me. And I want all of those things to be as well thought out as the music. Uh, so I'm working on a, my next track, which I'll probably bring out towards the end of the year. And I'm already planning that video and who to work with. And yeah, I'm going to release them together. Whereas maybe before I'd put out a song and then I'd put out a video maybe as an afterthought. That's not how I want to approach things this time around. Uh, I want to put those out, yeah, out together. Because I think they represent each other as well. I think the visuals are just as important as the music sometimes. Um, yeah, and they go they go hand in hand. Because you you performed at, at Pecha Kucha, um when it was at Westwood Works as part of the design festival and then decided to use that location as part of, of one of your visuals as well. Yes. So I think that, yeah, it was Dundee Design Festival. That was the first time that I'd been into Westward. And I love the space. And then I was asked to perform at Petra Kucha. And initially I thought, okay, how is this going to work? This room is massive. And it's not a sort of what you would think is it's a great like sound quality. I mean, it's, no. it's so barren and sort of bouncy. Yes. And then that became the thing that I love most about it. Because when you're performing Westward on a stage, you can't hide from that sound. I mean, everything really bounces around in there. The resonance, there's a natural reverb. And actually, it was the first time in a really long time that I've played somewhere in Dundee that I really, really enjoyed. And the space as well, I was, other than the floors that the festival w was taking part on, I'd never really explored the space before. So shortly after the Petra Kucha performance, I got in touch with David Cook and I said, hi, I would like to go and explore some more of that building if that's okay and maybe make a video there. And yeah, he was really supportive of that. I went in with Harry and some of the dancers from Scottish Dance Theatre, uh, James and Francesco, and we yeah, spent a little bit of time walking around, checking out spaces and then and then yeah, at that point we decided that we we're definitely going to shoot the video there. So I mean moving on to talk about Dundee a, a little bit. Um how do you, what's your impression of the sort of scene, if that's the right word, um, music scene in Dundee? 
think there is some incredible musicians based here. Actually, some musicians that I'm still discovering, been living here for about a year now, but it's not always easy to find to find them. I think Dundee's doing a lot of work into a lot of different things um, all over the city. And one of those was the Dundee music strategy that was quite recently put together. And I think part of the action plan for that was to pull together a database or a list of sorts of all the available venues or spaces within the city, which I think is a really positive step because I think as a musician myself based in Dundee, Dundee is probably the city that I play least in despite being based here. And yeah, I'd like to be able to perform live here more. But I think there's been a really interesting shift in venues um, or what venues or spaces are being used for over the years. Remember when I started out, even as far back as those early days in that band when I was still in school, I feel like there were a lot more music venues then than there are now. And there's definitely lots of platforms for open mics, which is great. And for cover bands, which is also great, but not really as many venues for, yeah, somewhere in the middle. I mean, with a real focus on music and not just being something in the background when you go into the bar that there's a band playing and you don't really need to pay an awful lot of attention. I think just more venues where actually music is the most important aspect of why you'd go in there, a proper music venue. So it's to sort of facilitate that progression, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I think that's maybe one of the few things that, as a musician based here, that maybe we're lacking, or there's a little bit more work to do. And some promoters as well. I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, I mean, do we have any? I don't know. Maybe one, two. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm looking at you like you might know the answer, and you're looking at me like I should really know the answer. Uh, but it, the honest answer is I don't. Uh, I'm aware of some music venues, but... Other than that, yeah, I wouldn't really know who to approach to, to put on a show here unless I was putting it on myself. Um, and I think the answer should be a lot more obvious to everyone, not just to musicians, especially where to go and watch live music as well. I think sometimes the city is almost divided, um, that there might be something great happening in the West End, but actually people on the other side of the city aren't aware of it. And yeah, we just need a central space or a venue or somewhere that everyone is aware that, hey, this is a music venue and there are regular live bands playing here and the bands are of a certain quality and it's different styles of music and you might not know all of the bands that are playing but you trust that whatever they're putting on is going to be is going to be good and worth heading along to mm. and i think yeah i mean i think that's true a lot of aspects of the city there is there's a lot going on but i think we need to get better at that coherence and that sort of message especially if we're sort of pushing it out to a wider audience yeah um and we're going to have potentially a lot of visitors coming to the city it's how do we create an offering that is succinct and of a high quality yeah and there have been bands that have included dundee as part of their tour and i think that's happening more often these days but i've been to some of those shows and i've been a wee bit disappointed because there's not been many other people watching that band and i'm a little bit worried that therefore those bands or promoters will be put off by con continuing to bring people to dundee uh, and it's not for lack of people not enjoying live music. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a need for it. And I think especially areas like Slessor Gardens, what's happening there is also great. And sure, that's a completely different kind of music, but those shows have been incredibly popular and I don't see why that can't be replicated elsewhere in the city. So and what what does the future hold? What's What's next for you? So there's a few projects that are ongoing. The beginning of this year, I traveled to Iceland to take part in a residency, which is the first time that I've ever done that. It was a residency in a village called Thingri in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'd never been to, to Iceland before and I knew it was gonna be remote, but I didn't quite understand what that meant. Um, so the, the village was about seven or eight hours uh, north of Reykjavik and I went out there and I took a zoom and I recorded some of the sounds that I found there. And prior to going, I knew that I wanted to start a project that was based purely on my experience in a country that I'd never visited. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know what I'd find there. And I wanted to just, had 10 days to just create something. 
And so I thought, okay, well, I'll create something using the sounds there. So it was in the middle of a, f- of a fjord. And yeah, I got some recordings of uh, wind, water, snow hums. The snow was so deep that almost every second household has their own snowplow. So in the morning, there was this orchestra of, of hums. And I recorded those. And then I set up a little makeshift studio and I started writing some music. And as soon as I left the residency, I knew that I wanted to return like immediately. I'm sure everyone goes to Iceland and comes back and says it's magical. And that's not a unique thing to say anymore. But actually, Iceland is really magical. And I was really impressed by, even in the village that I was staying in, the number of creative working spaces that exist there was, yeah, was absolutely brilliant. And just this idea of everyone working together even when I was there over the the 10 day period they were uh, auditioning for their local play and in this local play every single person in the village gets a part it's so who watches it uh, people from neighboring villages maybe I don't know Uh, I wish I'd been there long enough to answer that question Um, but yeah it felt like every single person they'd started the auditions um, and just everyone was talking about it throughout the village hey, what, what, what part will you get this year? And do you remember last year? And yeah, it was really nice. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that I wanted to return. And that's what I'm hoping to do later this year. I maybe wrote three three or four songs when I was out there the first time. And then I came back. I was commissioned by Summer Hall to perform whatever I'd made out there. And so I did that in March. And now, yeah, I'm trying to make plans to return in November to finish that album. And then to hopefully release it the following year. And I'm also working on my next release, Under She, which will be a single I'll probably bring out in September, October, again alongside a video. And I'm also hoping to develop the project that I worked on with with Ev, who's the, the dancer and choreographer I worked on the Hidden Door shows with. Again, that was just a really short time period that we, we got to spend together. And so hopefully we can maybe find some time to develop that and maybe to tour that again. And uh, yeah, and I guess anything else that that might come my way. So one final thing before we wrap up. Um, A thing that I've asked a lot of the guests on the podcast um, is what, what does success mean to you? I think I would have answered this question in very different ways in the past. I think in a musical sense, I would have said that success used to mean, yeah, like a number one album or being on MTV Cribs <laughs> or working with a particular person. Uh, those things are less important to me now. I think success for me means happiness. And okay, people will ask, okay, but what does happiness mean to you? And let's borrow down into that. And I read recently something that was quite interesting. This idea that money brings you happiness. And I can see, sure, how that makes sense. You need money to survive. And the more money you make, of course, the more that you can indulge in certain things that may well bring you happiness. Um, But then I read that if you flip that statement, And it therefore reads, happiness brings you money. Actually, I think I believe that more than the first statement. This idea that as long as you are working on something that you enjoy and that you're passionate about, and you're confident in the projects that you want to work on, and being able to say yes to those, and also being able to say no to the ones that you know that are not a good fit, even though they might bring you money, I think as long as you're making those decisions and making them for the right reasons, then I honestly believe that money will come. I think if you start with an idea initially and start planning out potentially how much money this will make you, I don't know, I don't think that works or it definitely doesn't work for me. And even as I'm navigating this idea of being a full-time musician and people in the past have asked, oh, how do you make money or how will you make money in future? And... The honest answer to that question is, God, you know what, sometimes I'm not really sure. It's unpredictable. And at at the point where I decided I wanted to be a full-time musician, 
was exactly the same point that people were telling me that you'll never make money from being a full-time musician. But I think if I really spent a lot of time thinking about that, then I would have taught myself out of it. So, yeah, these days I'm kind of just focusing on getting involved in projects that I really, really love. And then, yeah, I think money will come. And that's how I prefer to live my life. <laughs> in hope, always. <laughs> so if um, anyone listening wants to find your work and listen to it for themselves um, or find out more about you, where do they do that? So I am on all the regular platforms. My music's on SoundCloud. Uh, but also, yeah, check out the video that we shot at Westward. Um, that's on YouTube. And think, I don't know where else you would find me. Let's and, oh, that should be the easiest question Spotify? to answer. Uh, Spotify. <laughs> Spotify. Uh, yeah, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Oh, there's just so many. I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, have you got any live shows, performances coming up? Um, I'm working on that. So there's a couple of projects that I'm just in the process of pulling together some some live dates for, and I'll be announcing those shortly. On Twitter? Or Instagram or SoundCloud or YouTube. Or... <laughs> All of them above. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. So, and that was Sue. Um, all that remains to say is thank you to her for coming on and doing the podcast. Um, do go and check out her work um, and give her a follow on Twitter and Instagram, all those places, if you want to find out about live shows and everything else that's going on. Similarly with the podcast, if you want to keep up to date with everything that's happening with it, it's at cccd on Twitter and on Instagram and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cccdundee um, and all the information will be on there. Um, to give you a bit of an insight into who else we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks, um, we will have ceramicist, jeweller, maker, uh, Steph Little. And we're also going to have um, musician, technologist, um, I don't really know how to describe him. Um, he does so many different things. Jan Sesnik, um, you might know him from one of the many um, Petra Kuchas that he's done. So those guys are both coming up in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, that's it for this week. Um, I'll s I was going to say see you next week, but I won't. You'll hear me next week, I suppose. Bye. <laughs>